and you see all these fluffed up job descriptions with these vague and generic duties. And you're like, I I don't know what you do. Like, what is this role asking of me? So it's kind of a call to anyone writing job descriptions to try and make this as specific as possible. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hiring Behind the Scenes. In this episode, we are with Leah Dillon. She was Leah Cohen at the time of recording, so congrats to her. We cover a ton of really cool topics. We talk about applying online, what that means, ATS platforms, what they do, what they don't do. We actually talk about the day in the life of a recruiter and how she batches her work to look at applicants and review resumes. We talk about the hiring process, her process for screening, writing job descriptions, and how as a job seeker, you should look at job descriptions from the lens of a company and what they're doing. So it's really full of a lot of really good content. Leah also brings experience from startups to large companies. She was most recently at Amazon. She's actually part of the Teal team now. So really hope you enjoy this episode. And as usual, if you like it, please give us a follow, check us out online and uh, give us any feedback. Hit us up on LinkedIn. Would love to get your notes and thoughts on this episode. And if you wanna be a guest, let me know. Hit me up on LinkedIn. All right, hope you enjoy this episode. everyone. Thanks for joining for another episode of Hiring Behind the Scenes. Today, we're with Leah Cohen, who has built an incredible audience on LinkedIn, giving fantastic job search advice. Uh, She's a recruiter and has a lot of hands-on experience building teams, but I prefer people introduce themselves. So Leah, want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, Dave. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, Thanks for that cool introduction. As mentioned, my name is Leah, and I've been on LinkedIn for couple years now and just kind of seeing the wonderful ways that LinkedIn is bringing people together. So I've kind of built this network of friends, former coworkers, potential future coworkers for a while now. And it's kind of shaped this great platform to connect with people like yourself and have conversations like we're having today. Awesome. All right, let's dive into it. I think there's kind of three main themes that we can sort of hover around today and and jump around, try to keep these sort of tactical yet loose. One is I'd say like the, what you see as a recruiter on the sort of beginning side of the process, I think there's a lot of fear-mongering, to be frank, and a lot of, and and it's clearly like a subjective part of the process because at the end of the day, it's like it's a human being on the other, other end deciding. And as much as everyone wants to make that like binary, like this is the right way, wrong way, It's actually the person's decision. So there's no way to say what's right and wrong. So there's the front end of the process, like applying ATS, stuff like that. And another big theme is personal branding. And, you know, we can maybe talk about this through the lens of what you do when you see an applicant, but you've also done a great job of building a personal brand, which I'm sure has led to other career opportunities and and how people can do that and how your online identity actually affects your ability to land a job. Uh, And I think so we can kind of like jump into those two, but let's kick it off with that. I want to give people the behind the scenes on, okay, I just submitted an online application. It went into the mythical AI sorting filtering machine called the ATS, which if anyone doesn't get sarcasm via podcast, that's not what it is. But like, what's that look like to you? Like walk me through the kind of reviewing disposition process, request to interview, give us the behind the scenes on that. Yeah, great question. So 
Every applicant tracking system will be different per each company. There are some of the usual well-known tracking systems. We've got Workday, Taleo, Greenhouse, Lever. There's so many plethora of platforms to use. Each individual company may have their own system. They may create their own kind of interface that has plugins for different applicant tracking systems. But at the end of the day, all applicant tracking systems are virtually the same. They all have the same sort of user interface. They all have kind of the same functionalities. So what it looks like on uh, the backend side for recruiters, talent acquisition professionals, hiring managers, anyone who is working on the hiring process. So essentially, you've got your platform, you've got your roles listed, and you've got number of applicants to that role. They can be tagged to uh, multiple roles at a company if a candidate has applied to many different roles. They have kind of a list of what part of the pipeline they're in. So most applicant tracking systems have like an applicant pool. There's like a resume review functionality, maybe a recruiter screen or a phone screen, a full interview part. And then it moves to either offer, reject or archived kind of stage there. So that's essentially what it looks like. And depending on the actual user interface of the platform, a recruiter or hiring manager can go into their applicant pool, review all those resumes. Yes, we do review the resumes. Depending on how long each recruiter hiring manager takes, we can move that applicant from a one to two click button to the next part of the process or archive the candidate if they don't meet the qualifications. There are functionalities within platforms that you can auto-reject people. So if there's like a knockout question in the application and those people don't meet those, they do tend to get kind of that auto reject functionality in there. Let's say we closed a role or we are taking down a role to repost it with new qualifications or rewriting it. So at that point, uh, we would probably click a button that says reject all. You can select multiple candidates and just kind of send that auto reject. So sometimes when we're seeing candidates getting rejections at weird hours of the day, sometimes a a candidate has accepted an offer. And when they accept an offer in a system, that may then auto-reject all the candidates or we've just closed a role. There's so many factors that kind of go into it. But at the end of the day, it's really just a warehouse or a filing system to house all the candidates. So many questions, follow-up questions. Again, to get like almost like boringly detailed, like you see like a spreadsheet view, essentially, right? You see like a list of people that just applied and now you need to sort of process those applications, right? Which at a very simple level, either move them to the next round or reject them, right? Like what are you going through when you're doing that? And, and like, what's typical for you? You know, you've worked at large companies, small companies. What is like a, I'm sitting down to process applications. Like what's a typical batch, of like applicants that you're looking at in a certain period of time? Yeah, great question. So I think every recruiter has their own kind of set process that they utilize. And I think a good recruiter will mix it up throughout their tenure, find ways that work best for you based on the applicant pool. Let's say I've got a large applicant of a role that's maybe a general kind of role or it's not so niche. So we're getting kind of a lot of traction in there. Like let's throw an example of a recruiter role. Those are kind of hot topic right now and high volume applicants. Maybe I start my day checking through emails. I'll do a brief once over of how many applicants I have that day. 
So I'll go into the applicant pool and I'll kind of start by the time they applied and I'll just start doing resume reviews. I'll check their resume. You do kind of that one glance over. Do they meet the basic qualifications? Great. Maybe I'll move them to like a secondary resume review and just kind of filter all those out. If you can tell from a quick glance that they don't quite have the qualifications, but you see some seeds in there of, okay, I see there's transferable skills or maybe it's kind of worded a bit differently, that kind of gives further review and spend more time looking over a resume. You can tell pretty quickly who is basic qualified for the role and who is not, who deserves kind of more in-depth reading of their reviews and who is just clearly not qualified. So kind of depending on the day, I'll do kind of a batch review of some of those resumes. If it's really high volume applicant, I have to break that up throughout my day because I typically have calls. I'm talking with candidates, doing prep calls, meetings. I've got to take a lunch break at some point, maybe walk my dog. So my day is kind of, I schedule it either like a resume review in the morning, maybe a resume review at the end of the day. If I have some free time, I just want to kind of get through those applicants because I know as a job seeker, as a candidate in my life, a day to a candidate is not a day to a recruiter. A day to a recruiter is like a week, maybe a day to a candidate feels like a lifetime. Yeah, that makes Perfect sense. Yeah. And like the faster we can get back to people, obviously, the better. But I follow a little bit of a similar process to what it sounds like you do is, and it obviously depends on the position, how many applicants we've had some where we get hundreds in a day and some where we get, you know, five in a week. And then we can talk about that also. I'd love to talk about that, almost get some advice like on how the title makes a difference on how people search for it. But yeah, I'll do like, this is an automatic move to the next round. And then I'll put some people like into a kind of like waiting. It's like, well, let me see who else applies because I might move you forward. I might not. Because you're right, there's like specific things I'm looking for. If it's like a software engineer, I'm looking for very specific coding languages. Like if that's not there, I'm going to reject it. And even though like it's me like looking on my phone at 7 a.m. in the morning, I've actually gotten to the place now where I don't reject because I don't want someone to get a rejection that early in the morning. But they could have just applied and I get real-time notifications in Slack. So it might feel like a bot, but I could actually reject someone within 10 seconds of them applying. And it's me by hand, reading their resume, doing it myself. But I'm just looking for a few key things because that's so important for this position. Like right now we're hiring for backend engineer. If they don't know Ruby on Rails, and here's, I think, something that also people miss, right? If I, I just said, if they don't know, the truth is the accurate is if it's not on the resume. And I think a lot of people get that wrong. It's like, but I do know Ruby on Rails. It's like, but how was I supposed to know that? It's not on the resume. If it's not on your resume, I can't just be like, well, this person seems like they're a great engineer and they've got all these other skills. You know what? Let me just go ahead and wing it and assume they know Ruby on Rails. But if they don't, that's a waste of time for them, for us. And I, I think that's also what people, what I see a lot of like the angst around the resume is like, well, I do have those skills. It's like, but that's on you. Like the resume really, really does matter. So like, what's your process for like, what do you, obviously you have requirements. In my case, I'm sometimes I am the hiring manager and the recruiter, but you as more of a sort of traditional recruiter role, you have a, a client like internally and like the hiring manager. So can you talk us through how you learn what's the highest priority for a job when you're looking at resumes? Yeah, great question. So I think one thing that I see a lot of misinformation out there, so depending on each company, every company handles how they open a role, how they plan for their future hires for the year. That all kind of depends on the company itself. Larger companies, you'll have, you know, your OP1, OP2 hires. 
they'll kind of go through what roles are needed, if there's backfills or any attrition happening. What's OP mean? Well, I guess maybe that's a terminology specific to certain years, but like your quarterly planning, you know, half year one, half year two, kind of just dependent on how you how you determine your hiring. So those are kind of set in stone by the hiring manager who is up in like leadership are determining those roles. So then if a hiring manager, let's say they're a software engineer for a certain part of a platform, they need more people on their team. They need someone doing kind of more front end work. They need someone doing back end. You need a full stack. They kind of determine all those. So then when they're ready to open the role, we work with the hiring managers as recruiters and we talk about what it is you're looking for. And depending on the company, you build that job description pretty much together. Either the hiring manager writes it, the recruiter writes it, and you really talk about what is the criteria that you're looking for in your ideal candidate. What are the minimum qualifications? So when people are saying, I want someone who has five years of experience in blank programming. Okay. So if someone applies with three years and has everything else that you want, we can't look at them. And then they kind of think, oh, okay, well, I'd want to look at them. Well, you know, we've got federal laws in in the United States. Your basic qualifications are the bare minimum. So it's kind of a, a conversation with them. And if they say, oh, I want to bring in this person. Well, they only have two years of experience. You're asking for someone with five. So then we have to, if we want to interview that person, we've got to take down that job, open up a new job description, listing two years minimum qualifications. So it's kind of a conversation you're partnering with the hiring team to determine what it is that you're looking for in a candidate and what is the bare minimum that we need to be able to assess a candidate. Because if a candidate applies with four years of experience, those minimum qualifications, those are there. We, we are supposed to be looking at five years and above. So you're working with the team to kind of figure out what it is you're looking for. And then you're working with each other, depending on how involved they are in the process of filtering through those applicants. Some hiring managers really want to be involved with the recruiting team. They may do their own sourcing. They may want to do resume reviews of first pass and then hand over. It just kind of depends on the team. So talk me through the requirements a little bit. I think, right, you hear people say like, hey, shoot your shot. If you're 70% qualified, apply. Now, I think that talks about the whole JD. Again, there's so much interpretation and, you know, it sort of it depends is the most appropriate answer to basically every question. But a lot of JDs, maybe not all, but I think the majority have a requirements section. They might like sort of fluff it up in language. Like it would be great if you had, but like that's basically the section that says like, you got to have this stuff or you're not going to get hired. Is the guidance generally... You got to check all of those bullets. And if you don't, the chances of you getting through are a whole lot lower. Yeah. So this is always a tough conversation and there's a lot of misinformation. So if you see something on a job description that says minimum requirements, basic qualifications or something along those lines, those are typically kind of like the first part you'll see in a job description right after about the role or about the company. So those right there are the core qualifications. That says this is the bar. We are either seeking someone at the bar or above. Now, when you see the preferred qualifications, the nice to haves, something kind of worded along those lines, those are kind of like, it's okay if you don't know this programming language, we may be able to teach you or you may have other skills that are necessary. So we may forego that just based on a first glance over, do you meet these qualifications? So a lot of times you'll see either more basic qualifications or more preferred qualifications. And so that is kind of the team kind of determining what's the bar we're setting and what is the nice to have. 
Now, kind of in this current job market, what we're seeing is job descriptions saying, it's okay if you don't meet all of the qualifications, go ahead and apply. To a job seeker, that gets a little confusing, I feel like. So we're seeing jobs having multiple applicants for people who are not qualified for the roles. What I like to tell people is look at the basic qualifications and start there. Do you meet those? Do you meet four out of five? Well, that's a gray area, maybe apply. You never know, depending on that person. If you don't meet any of those, you should not be applying to those roles. If you only meet one qualification, you're probably not likely going to move forward. Again, it's kind of case by case, but we do have these set in place to have equal and fair opportunities for hiring. And so that's why we're you're seeing all these recruiters reiterating, these are the minimum qualifications. Start there and work your way up. I probably don't meet a lot of the preferred qualifications for some of the jobs, but if I meet the bare minimum, I'm gonna go ahead and reply and shoot my shot there. So that is kind of the shoot your shot mentality that I see. In my experience, unless it's a knockout question, which we should talk about, those are decided by a person. I'm not as well-versed in ATSs. I you know, sort of read their websites. But if we say five years experience with this language, can any ATSs like, well, one, can they pick it up? And have you ever seen it used to like auto-reject or score or at least like help sort for the recruiter? So there's a lot of disparity in this whole auto-rejecting. The ATS bot is filtering out applicants. So the yes or no answer, is there something automating in the system? There might be. There are some systems, especially now with this new wave of AI that are searching through applicants and possibly rejecting. But at the end of the day, a human is rejecting you. When you see knockout questions that will be determining like, how many years of experience do you have working with X programming? Do you have knowledge of X project or have ever worked on whatever? If you enter something in and based on the job description, if that doesn't kind of match up, the system is already programmed to reject you if you don't meet those criteria. So that's what we mean a knockout question. So I've seen a lot that say you're applying for a technical recruiter role and it'll say, how many years of experience do you have full cycle recruiting? That's end to end process of recruiting start to finish. If you list three, if the job description is asking for five, there may be some programming in that system that says you don't meet the qualifications. And that kind of helps us filter through the applicants a little bit faster. It's like a job aid. But we are also reviewing those applicants, too. Sometimes the system messes up. So I personally will look through even those archived candidates. Most of the time, those are correct, though. There's no like magic here, right? If the JD says five and then there is a question in the application, I mean, you know, you can do the legwork to see. Now, I don't think you should lie, right? You know, so you're going to get knocked out. And I think the ones that there's questions that are kind of true false. If those are going to be the easiest ones to use to quickly screen someone out. And then there's things that are kind of like in between. Again, you need to know this language. If I don't see it anywhere on the resume, even the skills section where it's like the easiest to toss it in. Well, I'm just going to assume no, right? So that kind of became a true false. And then there's things that are a little more sort of gray or can be interpreted, but I think it's on you to understand. So what would you say to someone that having been involved in writing a lot of JDs and trying to like coax requirements out of hiring managers, like what's the best way to look for the most important stuff? I think it's important to remember that not everyone writes a great resume. There's no criteria that says this is a perfect resume. Anyone who advertises that is wrong. So 
I look out of the lenses, not everyone writes a perfect resume. So what is our job is kind of to be a detective and read between the lines. So keeping your resume as basic as possible and just straight to the point, you don't need to throw a lot of buzzwords in. I want to know what you did and the impact you had. If you have data points on there, that's what I tend to look for. So if I'm looking for someone who, as a recruiter, has handled a high volume of applicants. So if you put that in your resume that you've worked with like high volume applicants, you've worked with multiple requisitions at a time. Requisitions are, you know, the jobs you work on and you have like any KPIs or any sort of data to kind of back that up. That is kind of the meat and potatoes that says, okay, this person knows what they're doing. They could step into this role if if this is a high volume acquisition role. I want to talk with them and then have those further conversations and have them explain to me about working with high volume applicants, going through high requisition numbers. Talk to me about it. Tell me about a challenging time. Tell me about a successful time. So those are kind of what we look for and read between the lines. Not every resume has the meat and potatoes on there. So you kind of have to do your own detective work based on just their years of experience, doing a little look over at a a company if you hadn't heard from them. This is how I learn how the multiple companies are out there just by looking at what where people have worked at and the types of roles they've hired. So it's really just having to read between the lines. And if it's spelled out pretty clearly, then I don't have to do that detective work. But I also can't assume that you know a programming language if it's not on there. Right. What about the JDs? Like, I'll t- like my process. When I write a JD, you know, there's probably, I don't know, let's say between three and five things that are super, super important. But I'm also kind of just like, can't be like, this JD has three bullets and hey, I'm done. Right. There needs to be like some amount of substance to it, a little bit of storytelling at the end. It's a pitch document. I need people to be excited to apply and sell the dream and also like flush out the responsibilities. So it seems like a robust role beyond just like what I need right now is the most important things. But again, my process is generally the stuff that's most important comes first. Like you go to my requirement section, the first one's probably the most important to me, the second one, the third. And like the fourth one, I'm like, yeah, you know, I need to get this on here. I need to sort of beef it up a little bit. You know, like any hints, like when you're skimming or reading a JD to say like, this probably really matters to this company. Obviously, there's even the sections, requirements, nice to have, responsibilities. But I don't know, anything that you see that from like the insider perspective, having written probably hundreds of job descriptions? So as a candidate, I think if you're seeing words or phrases used multiple times throughout a job description, either talking in the about the company or the roles and responsibilities. If you see those kind of happening multiple times, maybe you see sprinkles of it in the preferred qualifications or minimum qualifications. That I would infer is probably really important to that company, either what they foster in their work and culture or physically what you're doing in that role. So um, if it's a social media role and they're looking for someone to increase brand awareness and there's application tools that help increase brand awareness within the job description and requirements. Those are probably key and really important to this candidate and this role itself. Do you find yourself like skimming for those? Like when you're reviewing them by hand? Yeah, as, as a job seeker, I do. I think writing a, a job description shouldn't be this clever, haha, let me trick the candidate. Um, it should be as simple as possible and it should be easy to understand what you're doing, who you're looking for, and the type of person you're looking for to fill that role. That's, I think, the minimum that should be happening right now with job descriptions. And you see all these fluffed up job descriptions with these vague and generic 
duties and you're like, I, I don't know what you do. Like, what is this role asking of me? So it's kind of a call to anyone writing job descriptions to try and make this as specific as possible. If it's kind of a general role where you could probably, based on the person that you hire, you could probably flow between different programming languages or different projects or kind of change things up. That's kind of a different situation. But if you're hiring a specific niche role, spell out exactly what you're looking for, exactly what they want, what's a nice to have, what is the person going to do throughout the day. So as a job seeker, when you're looking at a role, pay attention on how they word the company, how they word what you're doing, what projects they're working on, if they can explain that. And you can pick up kind of cues on there of the type of person they're looking for. I always tell people like the answers are in the job descriptions or lack thereof, but like job descriptions are where you want to spend your time and energy to get that sort of first pass. Okay, so someone's applied, they meet the criteria, you want to move them forward. What's that process like for you? Obviously, this changes at every company. And so either currently or before, but like, give me an example. So kind of depending on the role and depending on the hiring manager, I'll probably do a quick reach out either if there's an email in the system, shoot them an email, shoot them a LinkedIn message, whatever kind of tools I can utilize to reach out to that candidate. If they're a direct applicant, I'm going to be reaching out as soon as I can to get them on a call. Um, what that call will basically detail is, is it's called a recruiter screen. I just want to know what's not on your resume. And I want to know if is what's on the resume true? Does it meet the criteria that we're looking for? I want to know anything about you wanting to work for this company. Do you have any requirements? Do you have any accommodations? That's also really key to ask a candidate early on in conversations. If they need accommodations for their interview process, I want to know that as soon as possible. And I typically ask that in an email or a LinkedIn message when we do set up those calls. Yeah, so you're basically just trying to understand who they are, what they do, and what they've done. And from there, you can determine, are they a match? Are they interested in the role? Are they just kind of applying to apply? And then we start talking about next steps and what the next steps look like. And that could be completely different for every company. That may be moving on to maybe a phone screen with someone on the team. Maybe it's the full final interview. Maybe it's a technical portion or a writing portion. That kind of determines based on the team and the role itself. But we kind of walk through the next steps of the process and what they will expect. I have a bunch of follow-ups here, but I, I feel like I skipped a step on the reviewing of their resume and sort of tying it a little bit into personal brand. And we're small. I look, any job that I'm hiring for, or even not directly, I look at the resume and I also go to the person's LinkedIn. Like I do both, even though they're going to be like highly aligned. Maybe they didn't fill out their skills section. So for me, like priority number one is resume, but I still go to LinkedIn can you talk a little bit about that process? If you guys have time, like, again, you guys, recruiters are all over the map and have different amounts of time for very strategic positions versus strategically high volume positions, because I feel like every position is strategic. But anyways, in your, let's call it, most recent process, where does the person's LinkedIn profile come into the mix? So I tread lightly with LinkedIn profiles because at the end of the day, this is a networking platform, but it is also a form of social media. So your LinkedIn page, you get to do with it what you will. You post the content that you want. You showcase what you want on that. That's your page. However, if I'm looking at a candidate and I look at their LinkedIn page and there's nothing on there, I don't have really anything to go off of. 
But that's okay. You don't have to be a LinkedIn influencer. You don't need to be posting content every day. I always encourage candidates, just put everything that's on your resume on your LinkedIn profile. Who are you? Where have you worked? What have you done at those roles? So that way, if I am looking, I can kind of see the content you engage with. If you're posting about mentoring junior people in your field, that's a really cool part that I want to know. And I may bring that up if I've looked at your LinkedIn But if I don't have anything on your LinkedIn, there's nothing I can go off of. So again, I have to go off of what's on your resume and then just try and talk to you based on on that information there. But I don't know how important I would say a LinkedIn profile is if you've already applied to the role. It kind of depends. If you're a designer, I want to see all of your portfolio. If it's not all on your your linked hyperlinked onto your job or your resume, is it on your profile? I want to look at that. If you've developed applications or websites, I want to look at that. A, because I'm curious. And B, I want to see your skill set. I want to see what you've worked on in the past and if you're a good fit to work on our projects at our company. When does like your activity on social media come into play? Great question. So there is a digital footprint And depending on kind of how often and what's the content you post, that can hurt or help you in your job search. So I always keep that in mind when I'm posting, and I'd hope other people keep that in mind when they post as well. If you're going to speak very negatively about a company and then turn around and apply in six months, that gives me pause for caution. So keep in mind that your digital footprint is there. But I also give grace to people because I do believe people can change. But always remember, your words matter and and what you say and how you say it matters, especially on the internet. I think that this is one of these topics that I see a lot of kind of polarity around, which is, well, it's my platform. I can say whatever I want. That is 100% true. Absolutely. And I am on the flip side of that, tasked with being a steward of this company's culture and ultimately who comes and joins. And so I get to choose who comes in and who doesn't, right? So it's like, no problem, you can do that. Now, if you don't want that information to be used, don't put it out there. That's not to say we're in any way like constraining your beliefs, right? But if you put them out there, now I'm aware. And now I have the option to agree or disagree with them, right? So you can do whatever you want. I think a lot of people in the job search, because it's so lopsided, feel kind of like victim to the process. And I think it's something to be very careful with to not let yourself be like, oh, now I have to. You don't have to match the keywords to the job description. You don't have to conduct yourself on social media, you know, but there are like inverse consequences to those for positive or negative. But at the end of the day, it is a a choice and you're participating in a market. And so you may choose not to do it, but someone else might choose to do it. So now you have competition. And so it's less about what you have to do in an expectation. It's more about being aware about what others are doing and how do you differentiate yourself? Yeah, this all kind of ties back to building your own personal brand. I have steadily built and grown my network organically. I'm not a person who asks for followers. I don't ask for likes. I don't participate in kind of those functions because I do believe quality over quantity. So when you're trying to build your brand and attract those companies, it takes time and it takes energy and effort. It's not like a get rich quick scheme It takes time to build your network and to consistently be posting and building and building and building until some company sees you and says, oh, I want to work for them. Let's have a recruiter reach out to them. That's kind of when you're using your content to attract 
the jobs that you want. But again, you don't have to be posting. Is that going to hurt your chances? Maybe. In this market right now, you know, it's so saturated. There are just so many applicants, so many job seekers, so many people looking for work that the applicant pool for each role is super high. So what's going to get a recruiter or a hiring manager to notice you? Is it sending them a, a blank in-mail that just says, ma'am, give me job? Or is it going to be someone that's done their research, looked at my profile, see the roles that I promote or do not promote that I hire, and then deduce, should I be reaching out to that person or someone else? So it's kind of, it all ties back to your personal brand. You represent a company if you're working for them. So if you're going to be posting about controversial topics, know that if you advertise you work for a company, that means that you possibly may be speaking on behalf of a company or not representing a brand in the correct light. I've got a sort of long forming yet not fully formed kind of theory on our appreciation for effort, right? And we can generally... Wherever we come from, like we have a sensibility of effort and we value effort because we all can relate to time and time being wasted or not. And we know how we put a value on our time. And, you know, sort of, I think it applies to like architecture, art, like you name it. Like we, if we feel like something was hard, we're like, oh, well, I value that. That took a long time. And so I think we've got a very developed sensibility kind of like at a species level to like appreciate effort. And so I think that just comes through so quickly and we can like equate it to just not caring. It's like, and it's so funny as it comes up with these tools that make us more efficient, that make things take less effort. It's still obvious if you didn't put in the bare amount of effort, you know, as a company that like promotes AI and the usage of tools, it's immediately apparent when someone just copy pasted like the response from ChatGPT into our job applicants, right? Because in our case, there's a long standing like organizational psychological theory on teal organizations and a really cool theory. That's probably like the most work related concept with teal. And so we just say, oh, I want to work in a teal organization. It's like, that's nowhere in our JD. You, you put in zero effort. And so immediately, like the bar you need to cross for me to even think about moving you forward is just like disproportionately higher than anybody else. And so you just, you got to care. I feel like that's one of the main things we're looking for is that you care. Obviously you're qualified, but like now going back to that interview, a bunch of people are qualified. That's why they got moved to the first round. And for me, a big like differentiator is like, do you care? Do you care about the position? Do you care about your craft? Do you care about what we're doing as a company, the customer we're trying to serve? That's something I look for like in that first interview, like what are some of the things you look for in that initial screening interview? Absolutely. I, I completely agree. So everyone wants a job to do something personal with their life, pay your bills, move up in the in the workforce. Your personal reason for getting a job is your personal reason. So we know you want a job to get a job. Okay, so why do you want to work for this company? You're spending 40 plus hours a week potentially with an employer you're spending all this time, maybe eight to 10 to 12, how many hours a day you work with people in the team. You're representing a brand. You're either working to promote or launch something or continue research for something. Whatever it is that you're trying to achieve, you're also joining a company and furthering that company's mission and goal. So a hiring team is going to want to hire someone that wants to work for the company, that has done their research on the company, and can envision themselves in the role. Because the standard onboarding, you take up to 90 days to ramp up, but you need to put in that effort to ensure that you hit that 90 days and you're soaring after that. 
So I ask, you know, if I'm a job seeker and I'm sitting in that interview, I've already researched the company. I've probably looked up people on LinkedIn, saw if anyone's posted what they're working on or the types of projects they're working on. If there's any sort of social media page, you can kind of pick up little tidbits, write that down on some notes and try to sprinkle that in throughout the conversation when you're interviewing with the hiring team. So if they're talking about a project that they're working on and it impacts the environment, maybe sprinkle in some information that you've personally worked on on a project there or talk about what they're currently working on. It just kind of depends. But at the end of the day, do your research on the company. You don't need to spend hours and hours drawing up some like fantastical essay response about why you want to work for the company. Your experience will speak for itself, but just know and understand the company that you're applying for. And if you're going to get hired, you're joining that company. You're stepping in day one, assuming that role. So understand it a bit and learn more about the company is like super key. I mean, I'll give a very simple example for us. We're kind of in a unique situation at Teal where anyone that I'm interviewing that applied, that's different if I do outbound because maybe they weren't looking for a job, but they're entertaining the interview. But if you applied to a job at Teal and you have not used our tools, you are like by definition, a job seeker. We make tools for job seeking. At least like even like signed up and kicked the tires. I'm just going to be like, hmm, you're like not even curious. Like you're like you're applying to work at a company to dedicate 40 hours a week of your life to come build this thing that makes tools that like help someone who's in your situation. You could sign up and be like, well, this thing's terrible. Totally fine. But if someone's like, oh, yeah, just applied, didn't even look. I'm kind of like, hmm, you know, and because there's other people that do. And I think that's the part that people miss. It's like, okay, that on its own is fine. But there's someone else that did for sure. And sometimes like, well, that person had the curiosity. That person cared about the problem. That person was like, they wanted to even see if like they believe in the product at the company that they want to apply to. And I think that goes on, like again, consumer, job seeker, like very, very specific. If it's like you're applying for a job at salesforce.com, you can't just like sign up for an enterprise, you know, usage of Salesforce. But like, and it doesn't have to be hours to your point, you know, spend some time on the website. If it's an enterprise company, just like understand what their product is. Right. Understand like how it relates to you. Have some questions. And I tell people like non-Googleable questions, like don't ask the super obvious, like, hey, who's the CEO of the company? Like you totally could have found that online. But I think this just like showing you care is super, super important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think to that point, you know, you don't need to know every detail about the company, especially with startups. There's so little information you can look up on a startup on their seed money, what, you know, stage of funding they're at, all that information there, which is great information to bring up. A great question I love to ask in interviews, especially for startups or companies that are a little bit more not as open with what they do and who they are, is say something like, tell me an interesting fact about the company that is not on the web or that I wouldn't normally read in a brochure. And typically, depending on the interviewer, they'll give you really great tidbits of information about if it's something about fostering employee culture or uh, a challenge that they had that they recently overcame or a recent goal that they had achieved. There's a lot of great information that comes from those questions. So if you don't have information on a company, it's okay to say, I don't know a lot about the company, but what I do know is this, this, and this. I'm curious, how are you guys applying this? How are you achieving this? Your mission statement says this. How does that personally affect you and your work and in your life? Those are all kind of the great conversations that showcase that you've done your research and that you genuinely want to know more. Because on the other end, 
we don't really want, unless you do want high attrition, you don't want this like quick turnover and having to constantly interview and hire new employees, train them, employ them, and then they turn around and want to leave. We want those people that are going to invest their time in the company and those people that are curious because those curious people will take your product and then ask questions on how we can grow it or move it forward in in its stage and, and, and process. So those are the type of candidates hiring teams want. We want someone who is curious and we want someone who will ask those questions, take their experience from other companies and apply it to this company to then grow because we always want to grow. It's how we make money. It's how we develop new things. So that's at the core what they're looking for. Yeah, well, totally agree. So moving, we'll sort of go on this last topic is from the recruiter's perspective, because obviously it can be hiring managers, there, there's all sorts of different angles, but like, what's that? So you've interviewed someone, you're like, okay, I think this person would be a fit. Now, and this is from the perspective of a large company, and little companies might do it totally different because it's the same person can decide, but like, let's give the large company perspective. They've now made it past the recruiter screen. What's that process where you, is that like hand it off or like transfer it to someone deeper in the process? So if you're like a full life cycle recruiter, you're owning every stage of the process. If you're just a sourcing recruiter, you're just trying to attract the talent in, get them on that initial call. If they're a fit, you move them forward. Maybe you're passing them off to another recruiter. But a lot of um, full life cycle recruiters will own end-to-end process. So you'll work with the candidate every step of the way. If you feel they're a good fit for the recruiter screen, they may be going on to a phone screen. So you're kind of talking through the expectations, sending any prep material, any helpful information you can. That is also a great point to get feedback about like what's missing or what is a great way to highlight in those calls. And based on that phone interview, you either work with a recruiting coordination team or a scheduler to kind of schedule that interview, conduct the interview with the interviewer. And then from there, you'll either determine, are we moving forward or not based on the criteria that was asked in that interview? If they are moving forward, maybe it's a full panel interview. It just, again, kind of depends on the company and their interview process. And then if you're moving to that final like panel interview or there's multiple interviews on a day or multiple days, each interviewer should be assessing something different and not assessing the same thing. You pick up different information, asking different questions and looking for different things. But you may also kind of come up with the same answers or you're looking for uh, something else, but they bring up this part and that's really interesting and and you want to know more. And then from there, usually a team will debrief. Depending on what's conducted in the debrief, we talk about every part of the interview. What were the strengths? What are areas for growth? And typically, they'll also talk about the longevity of this person in this role. Well, this person sounds like they'd be a great manager one day. Are there projects that we can kind of help foster that and help bring out some of that strength? Are they a little bit quiet and reserved? Are there ways that we can kind of encourage, mentor them to kind of find their voice in this company? Those are all conversations that do happen in a interview debrief. And from there, they'll then determine, are we going to move forward to an offer? Are we not going to move forward? Is this candidate not a right fit for the company today, but maybe in the future for a different role that we don't have open? Those are kind of those next steps there. The one thing I, w- I wanted to sort of bring up, at least from my perspective, is it's a really funny thing when you're in the interview. Like, I can say for anyone that I interview, if because I move them forward, I really want it to work. I don't want to keep this position open. Like, I really want to fill this position. Like, I want like nothing more than to fill this position. But at the same time, I am looking for all the reasons to say no because it's such a high risk 
to let someone through that's not a fit. But people are rooting for you. I think that that's kind of like what I think people, like a lot of the job seekers maybe don't realize is the interviewer's rooting for you. Like they really want you to do well, you know? And I understand that unfortunately there's like too much like tricking in the hiring process as like some form of criteria for if the person's good or not, even like writing vague JDs and asking vague questions to see if the person sort of gets it right. That's annoying and that does happen. But ultimately the person wants you to succeed. You can ask questions. They want you to do great and they want you to move forward so they don't have to keep it going. How do you feel about that? Like, is that something that you feel like most people would agree with or is that kind of like a me thing? I am rooting for every person I interview. I am, you know, trying to do my job and get the information I need to see if you are the right match to step into this role and and power through and move forward for this position. I'm not going to be looking for red flags, but we do want to be aware of any red flags. Are you just answering the questions just to answer the questions? Are you not showing any kind of excitement or enthusiasm about the role? That's one thing that can also then be discussed. It's not necessarily a roadblock or a red flag, but I'd hope that no one is going into an interview looking for ways to say no to a candidate. You're looking for the ways to say yes, but you are also trying to assess criteria for this role. And if you're not getting that information, you can't necessarily make that decision. So if you go into an interview and you're interviewing a candidate and you're not getting any of the answers that you really need to determine for this, is this a right fit or not? You then have to kind of determine, do we need to have another round of interviews or do we just not have that information to say yes to a candidate? So I agree with you. There's no one is looking for a way to say no, but we need to kind of assess if there are any red flags at that time before making that risk and taking and giving an offer to a candidate. Yeah. And I think that that's also something people, when I say people, I'm like job seekers misses with recruiters is as a recruiter moves you forward, their identity is kind of on the line now, right? They are going to the hiring manager and say, look, I think I found you a great candidate. They are rooting for you. Like if you don't do a great job at the interview, then the, you know, the recruiter is going to have to answer to the hiring manager. Why'd you move this person forward? Which is kind of embarrassing. It's like, well, we had such a great initial screen. So like, the recruiter is your advocate. You know, as much as everyone wants to kind of villainize recruiters on LinkedIn, their job's to actually fill positions, get you hired. You know, so they really are a huge advocate. They're not comped on saving money. You know, generally like the, actually the answer to getting someone filled faster is to pay them more. <laughs> you know, more often than not, I see them like trying to move people through the process, advocating for candidates, even advocating for potentially paying them more because they know it's not market and it's going to be really, really hard to fill the position. And so, I don't know, I guess this is just my my love letter to recruiters. <laughs> I appreciate that. I think there's a lot to be said about what recruiters do and why they do it. There are different types of recruiters out there. There are commission-based recruiters and there's non-commission-based recruiters. There are recruiters that want to get the lowest amount of money so they can in turn make their own money. And then there's in-house recruiters or other types of recruiters who we have a job to do. We are getting paid regardless if you get hired or not, but our job is to fill this role or to fill these multiple roles. So it is my duty as a recruiter to ensure that I represent the company. I am explaining the criteria. I am looking for the right candidate and I'm partnering with the internal team to ensure that the candidate that I have found meets the qualifications, could potentially be a good fit. And then it is your job to help then determine, okay, you're interviewing this candidate. Are they a right fit? Should we hire this person? Yes or no. If there's a maybe, what are your reservations? Are you looking for other candidates that may be a better fit? 
we need to make a decision on this candidate, yes or no. There is no holding period. There's no grace period. That is um, hopefully going away in this job market. But there's there was a lot of conversation floating around LinkedIn of like keeping candidates warm and, and hiring managers wanting to keep them warm and see what else is out there. That's not fair to the job seeker. I, I don't want to take a job that if they didn't want me, but they were looking for what's best or who's better than me, like just cut me loose at that point, rip the bandaid off and move on. So it's a long-winded answer to, um, <laughs> I appreciate that, that answer about your love letter to recruiters is at the end of the day, we are advocating for the candidate, but we are also representing our company and who we work for. Yeah. And I think it's humans on the other end. This is like a very human process. As much as people want to sort of give the blame or the credit to AI on both sides, or like, oh, great, now, you know, we got AI to combat the AI. It's a very human process at the end of the day. Like, it is too high risk for companies to abdicate this to AI. Like, because at the end of the day, it's humans interacting with humans, and there are humans in the process. And humans are better than AI at picking up on, for now, <laughs> on all of these, like, secondary and tertiary things that, you know, go into, maybe not explicitly, but implicitly into the hiring process. Well, yeah, that was awesome. Thank you. I feel like we got a lot of really good behind the scenes action on the recruiting process, which is what I hope we can sort of shine brighter lights on and dispel some of the myths and tales that come around the recruiting process. But you share a lot of actionable insights. So how can people follow along with all the great content you put out there? I'm on LinkedIn. That's kind of where I'm housed right now. Um, having to pick up all the different social media platforms can be a little bit consuming mentally. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Depending on when this comes out, my name will likely be changing in the next few weeks. So um, I'm either Leah Cohen or will be Leah Dillon, depending on when you're listening. So find me on LinkedIn, connect with me, interact with my posts. Um, that is kind of your best way to network with anyone on LinkedIn is interaction on posts. And I'm always learning. I'm always growing and fostering kind of that curiosity in myself. So um, I look forward to learning from everyone else on LinkedIn. Awesome. Thank you so, so much. That was awesome. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed listening to that episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. We are here to help job seekers. The point of this show is to give you the behind the scenes look at the hiring practices of companies and to debunk a lot of the myths and fear mongering that's out there. So if you like the show, please subscribe. Would love for you to write me on LinkedIn or comment on one of my posts if you'd like to be a guest. We're really looking for practitioners that are in the hiring role, whether it be a hiring manager or a recruiter. We wanna give people that inside view to what it looks like to be hired and to understand the inside view of how companies operate. So please let me know. Uh, and if you're job searching, check out Teal, tealhq.com. We are here to help you land a job you love. All right, thanks. And we'll catch you on the next one.